Good morning. It's good to see you all. I missed you last Sunday. I was under the weather, um, but it was fun to see Pastor Dustin get to preach on short notice, and um, thankful for him, and uh, thankful for you. As a pastor, I rely on the circulation of God's love amongst his body as much as anybody. And so thanks for caring for me and for my family. Um, I appreciate that. And to open here, I'd like to invite Letha to come on up. Letha is someone that we've been praying for on our prayer page, and she'd like to share some of her story. So if you'd give her a round of applause. Used to talking in front of a whole bunch of people, so sorry. Bad hair, uh, dress coordination, but um, I just wanted to say thank you for all the prayers. It's a big, big help. Um, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to share some of my experiences in the hospital. Um, I had one experience where, um, well, I'll start from the beginning. Hold it a little closer to your mouth. Sorry. So, yeah, thanks. I just don't want to eat it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I um, got sick, and I had pneumonia and a blood clot. Um, I was in a bad phase of life. Um, I ended up um, overdosing, and... Um, I was using at the time too, which I've been clean for almost two months. Um, <laughs> but um, that didn't help my situation, but I wasn't found for like 38 hours after I collapsed. So that's what caused the blood clots and everything. But I was in critical care unit for about a month, and then I went to um, December what? Okay, so December 3rd, I got life flighted to Des Moines, and then um, I was in the critical care unit, and then I got put into the regular hospital area, and I was there for a week, and I was just like, I've had it with this place, so they took my catheters out, they took my lung tube, um, I ended up having to have a draining tube that they ended up taking out, and I was off the ventilator. And the doctors were, whoa, and the doctors were like, whoa, she's, we didn't think she was going to go this fast and everything. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. And they're like, okay, we trust you. But um, a lot of it was from your guys' prayers, and a lot of it was from dreams that I had that I believe are, like, completely real. Um, there was one dream I had. Of an angel, I think is what it is. Um, beautiful. Her eyes were like, you know those kaleidoscope rings? They're like really pretty and they change colors. Beautiful white hair. She had like a white robe. And um, she didn't talk to me, like talk to me. It went like straight to my head to hear and stuff. And um, there was one time... I was talking to my grandfather that has passed many years ago, like in 1998. And um, we were walking and there was this huge wall and there was lights underneath the wall. And I didn't even think anything of it. We were just talking. And all of a sudden she turned around and she pulled me back. 
and I had woken up, and when I woke up, there was doctors and nurses in my room, probably about five or six of them. They had a crash cart, and I guess I woke up and I said, hi. And the doctors and stuff were like, and later on, I didn't know if it was like a hallucination or whatever, because I was having those during that time. And I asked the nurse about it, and she said, no, it was real. She goes, the one doctor had to leave the room because he was crying because he didn't know. He had never seen such a thing. And they said, the nurse said, we had the paddles ready. We were going to put them on you. And you woke up and the guy jumped back because you scared him to death. <laughs> so I feel like that was my guardian angel. Um, I had a couple other dreams of her talking to me and stuff, but... Um, I, God had sent her to me, I feel. <laughs> because, I mean, the love, just standing by her, you can't believe how much love radiated off of her. Like, she didn't even have to talk, but you could feel that warmth and that love like I've never felt before. It was, it was crazy, and I didn't even know what to do with it. Sorry. <laughs> um... But even her words or just looking at her and stuff. And I've had a few dreams of her at home, too, when I've gotten to that point where I'm feeling down or I just want to call someone and say, hey, come over. But, you know, got to stay clean, got to stay clean. But, um, yeah. But I just wanted to thank you guys a lot because, you know, and... If you ever feel, even if you think it's just something little, and you feel that need to do something for someone, even if it's something small, you know, you see someone, you really like their shoes or something, go tell them. That might be their biggest thing in the day that is going to keep them alive. And I know that sounds stupid, but if you're depressed or whatever, just that one compliment during that day, Maybe it's just me. I kind of feel uplifted about it. Like, hey, they like my shoes. <laughs> That's cool, you know? <laughs> but if you feel that need, I mean, even if it's just to go put $5 on someone's groceries after you pay for yours or something like that, do it because it might be something that saves their life. And I'm just, yeah, sorry. I don't know what else to say, but thank you guys all. Yeah. Thank you all for everything you've done. Let's, let's pray for you, okay? Can we, can we pray with Letha here? And Tori, are you coming up? Okay, yeah, stand there. All right. Let's pray for Letha. So, Lord, we pray for Letha. We thank you for sparing her life. Uh, we thank you for shocking the doctors as she woke up and you pulled her back. And, Lord, we pray that you protect her in Jesus' name. Lord, she's part of your family here. She is your daughter. And I pray that you would use uh, her openness in her journey to encourage others to find light in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank Can you. Can I add to that? Yeah. I'd like to pray for all you guys. I know this world is rough right now, and everybody's kind of struggling. Sorry. Everybody's kind of struggling, and the world's rough right now. So I'm praying for all you guys, too. And... Some of you people don't know me, you just know me from prayer, but I'm willing to listen. It can be anything. I'm, I'm, 
I'm pretty, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm here for you if you need me, as you were for me. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Lita. Well, if you're not on our prayer page, you don't get those emails, get signed up because it's so fun for me as a pastor to tell people, hey, you want a couple hundred people praying for you right now? And just the light in people's eyes when they're in an ER room or when they're next to a cemetery and they get to hear that they have the faith family behind them. It makes a big difference. And... As a pastor, you get the frontline view of uh, the good and the bad. <laughs> Often they come together. <laughs> and just, it was a blessing, Letha. Thank you for sharing with us of how those prayers God sent help in a lot of different ways. And God promises, we see in the scriptures, when we pray, he responds. And he'll send help. It might be through the form of a friend. He sends ministering spirits to come tend to his people and protect. We know that's biblical. And so the scripture today we're looking at is over in Acts chapter 16. And, and God sends help. There, at the start of this chapter, there's a, a vision that Paul has of a man from Greece. And this man is pleading for help, saying, come help us. Paul goes, I think we better respond to that. And so he gets his team together and they cross the Aegean Sea. They go from the area of Turkey and they head over into Western civilization for the very first time. The gospel reaches Europe. And they head over to Philippi, which is where we've been doing sermons for a while, a letter to the Philippians. And as they head over to Philippi, these Philippians, they're a tough crew. There's some characteristics of Western civilization in that <laughs> no one's going to tell them what to think. They're making up their own minds. And at first they start off pretty rough. They beat Paul up. Later on they become his biggest supporters. A church that stands by him when no other church will, but it's tough sledding at first. And so as we go to our first scripture, this is what happens. And as you think about Paul writing that letter to the Philippians, I want you to think about where do these Christians come from? <laughs> well, you'll see today some of their background. And as we go through the story, I want you to keep thinking, who was that man in the vision from Macedonia crying out for help that God is sending Paul to help? And so... The start of the story, it says that a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. Another translation says that the mob attacked him. And the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Talk about a bad day. I mean, how would you respond if that was your Saturday? All right? 
how would you respond? I know for me, a natural response is to just go hide. <laughs> you know? My reaction when I get sick, I just don't want to move. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a natural response, I think. Others are a little more expressive in, in how they respond to something like that, and they get angry. They get upset with those around them. Not, not Paul. He practices what he preaches. Remember in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And fix your thoughts on what's true on anything that's praiseworthy. Paul ends up doing that. I know some of you have been, slide right back, I'm sorry. Uh, Some of you have been stripped of things in your life, even in the last weekend. Some of you have been beaten down pretty good. Some of you feel like there's not an escape or that your escape's getting cut off. Some of you can relate to feeling clamped. You're trying to move forward, but your feet feel stuck. (laughs) You're not the first to feel that, by the way. Paul felt it. Your brother and sister in the pew ahead of you and behind you feels it and has felt it. And our Lord Jesus Christ has felt that. The gospel in its simplest form is that Jesus died and he rose again. And to focus on the first half of that was that Jesus had to die. He was stripped and he was beaten down. He was thrown into a tomb with guards ordered to make sure that dead man didn't crawl back out. And there was a stone rolled in front of his escape. That's part of the reality of the gospel. But thank God it's not the full story. It didn't end there. That prison couldn't hold Jesus Christ. Those guards couldn't hold Jesus Christ. That stone couldn't hold Jesus Christ. Death could not hold Jesus Christ. Sin could not hold Jesus Christ. And so in this next scripture, it comes to my mind. These beautiful words that say, death is now swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And law gives sin its power. But thank God. For he gives us victory over sin and death through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Continues on that same passage that says, So, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. 
I wonder if Paul sitting in that jail cell started wondering, God, did I get this wrong? I saw a vision of a man pleading for help. And I tried best I could to follow what you called me to do. And and now here I am and where are you? That's a very natural response in suffering to say, God, here I am, but where are you? As a pastor, I love to remind people in those moments, he's here. He is close to the brokenhearted. He's closer now than he's ever been. He knows what it's to be stripped and beaten down and put in shackles. That's the first half of the gospel. And yet we get to share in the second half of the gospel, church, that he has risen again, that death and sin cannot hold him. And death and sin cannot hold the church. Let's get back to our story here in verse 25. So how did Paul and his friend Silas react when they were in this situation? Well, they remembered the second half of the gospel. Though they were pressed on every side with troubles, they were not crushed. Though they were perplexed, they were not driven to despair. Though they were hunted down, they knew they were never abandoned by God. For we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Right, the first half of the gospel. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The second half of the gospel. As an Easter sermon famously wrote, it might be Friday, but Sunday is coming. And so, in verse 25, back in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, now about midnight, they should be sleeping, but they can't because they're in shackles. They can't roll over to their side to go to bed. They did Philippians chapter 4. They didn't worry, but in everything they prayed. And in everything, they fixed their thoughts on that which is true and praiseworthy. And they gave praise. And they sung hymns to God. What an amazing reaction to tough times. Supernatural even. Reminds me of Philippians 4 that mentions it's the peace that passes understanding. How can someone react that way if it was not God supporting them? These are songs in the night. And I know we've all sung them. When life doesn't make sense and the suffering is hard and we wonder what our options are. Sometimes they're quite limited And all we have left to do is to pray and to sing. I had a moment of that. I know I refer to it a lot, but it was a big part of my life when I was 20 and I had a brain injury. 
and I was still trying to go to school that semester, and I was failing my classes, and I wasn't doing well. I couldn't handle noise on my busy dorm room floors, and I found out that the stairwell of our dorm was the quietest spot on campus. So I went to the first floor of the stairwell, where the stairs rise, but there's nothing beneath them. And I went to my little prison. I hid underneath that stair. It was quiet. And I would say, God, I'm here, but where are you? And I realized that there'd be a good little echo in that three-story stairwell. And I would sing praise. I didn't have another choice. There's a song called Lean on Me. I have it in a letter written from my grandma, uh, my grandfather. He wrote it to our family the year he died when he was 62. His heart was failing. And he said to our family, this is a song that's really been holding me up lately. The lyrics say, lean on me when you're not strong. I, I have to sing it. That's the thing with, with these things. In emotional times, you try and recite something, it flees. But if you put the tune to it, you remember it. I was a couple of days ago in the hospital with someone. I tried, to, I tried to recite a scripture my mom used to sing to me during my brain injury. And I tried to recite it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> so maybe that's why we have, it says sing hymns, right? Because the song comes back. I've seen that with folks older in age. How much music can minister to their souls. Even folks that are losing their memory. You start singing and they'll come chip right in, right? So the song goes, lean on me when you have no strength to stand. When you feel you're going under, hold tighter to my hand. Lean on me when your heart begins to bleed. When you've come to the place that I'm all you have, then you'll find I'm all you need. That's what my grandpa was learning when he was 62. On his way to heaven. That's what he passed on to us. Pretty beautiful. Sometimes God, he's not binding us to suffering. He's binding us to the prayer and to the praise that would not otherwise be on our lips. That's a good place to be when we come to the place that we find he's all we need. When I was 20, there was another song that my mom she put Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8, to some music. And when I couldn't process my emotions very well, um, I remember uh, sitting in a dark room and having my mom just sing that over me. And uh, I remember I, I was interning in my early 20s with a a pastor and we went to do a hospital visit and I didn't know what to do so I decided to sing that song to him and later on he wrote me a letter going that was that was the highlight of encouragement for me when you did that and partly it was he was a family friend he knew my story he knew my mom you know and um, again I tried to recite that the other day I couldn't do it without singing so I'm going to sing this one for you from Psalm 62 verse 5 but it says goes, uh, and my mom gets the musical credit for this, but God gets the credit for the words. It's from the ESV, and it says, 
In God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from the Lord. He only is my strength and my salvation, my fortress I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is He. Trust in Him at all times, O Rabbi. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You can insert other names other than Rabbi in that, by the way. Actually, it'd be kind of weird if you did that. But you can sing that over people. And I just think about Paul and Silas. They're praying and they're singing. And these other prisoners, they're having a tough time too, aren't they? And yet they hear from the deepest, darkest dungeon. It's in the inner chamber. This is max security and the most uncomfortable spot. They hear from there singing like you just heard from me. And they go, what in the world is this peace Paul has? I bet a lot of these folks ended up being the Christians of the Philippian church that get the letter from Paul saying, don't be anxious, but instead pray, sing, remind yourself of what is true. That's not cheap talk. Paul walked that walk right in front of them. I mean, this is the birth of the church in Philippi. It says the prisoners were listening, I think quite intently to this. They were watching. There's credibility when you go through suffering. There's witness when you go through suffering. There's opportunity when you go through suffering. And it says suddenly, the wait was over. You know, sometimes we think if we have to wait, it means God didn't hear us, or that God is not there. But what do we really expect? Do we really expect that for God to be there, for God to use a situation, he has to respond immediately with no time lapse? Not even a second, not even a minute. Jesus lay in a tomb for three days. It could have been one day. It could have been one minute. But he let it be three days so that when he rose out of that ground, the whole world would be in shock and awe, without a doubt, that this has come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their time of waiting here was up. Every season doesn't last forever. Sin, sickness, death, it's all swallowed up in victory in Jesus Christ. We won't fully find that till heaven. But the victory's coming. And that conquering hero, Jesus and his spirit, is gaining ground in each of our lives as that day approaches. But the time arrived when suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately 
flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. That's the second half of the gospel is that Jesus rose again. He took the keys of hell and Hades. He shook the foundation of death to its core. He now gives the church the power over Satan. He says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church and what I want to do. Nor could the gates of this jail cell. And not just for Paul. Everyone. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Lord was there, and there was freedom. Our next slide, I want to show you just quickly. I'll go through it fast. Those Philippians 4 verses. It said, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considering all you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. The time is coming when suddenly chains are falling off. Verse 6, so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This Acts 16 puts this next line in perspective. Keep putting into practice all you learned and have received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. He's talking to the prisoners in the jail cell. Who are now Christians, part of the church. He's saying, you saw me do this. You can do it too. You can do it too, church. Then the God of peace will be with you. He goes on then to say, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So back to chapter 16. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. The law then is that if a prisoner escaped, it was your head for theirs. And so the jailer thought he was done for. So he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, for we are all here. Those prisoners who were listening, they stuck around because they realized Paul had a secret. He knew what peace was. He knew what freedom was. Paul in the inner cell was free. Those prisoners, I think, wanted that too. It spared the jailer's life here. And the jailer, he wanted that too. 
you might be thinking, I'm not like Paul and Silas. I'm not suffering because I'm serving the Lord, but because of my own sin. It's my own fault. Well, God cares about that too. These prisoners were dying away in a jail cell, and this jailer most likely had been the one inflicting those blows on Paul. He needed help. Not just the oppressor, the oppressed, but the oppressor is slave to their sin. The jailer, I believe, ends up being that man crying out for help. Up to this point in Philippi, Paul saves a woman at prayer time, saves another woman, casts out a demon. Who is the man from Macedonia saying, please help me? Well, who's the man who gets saved at the end of the chapter? It's this guy. Sometimes God sends his light to the darkest spots. Because people there need it. Sometimes he sends his church to some dark spots. Because people there need the light. This jailer needed the light. He woke up and he saw the um, next verse, verse 29. So the jailer called for lights. He ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. His life is at stake here. He brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Maybe you're asking that question this morning. Here's the answer. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. So the jailer went to go get his family, brought them back to the jail. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Verse 33 Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Wounds he probably inflicted. Then he and everyone in his household, they went to find some water somewhere and were baptized. Not only that, he brought them out of the jail. I don't know what the other guards were thinking when he did this. He brings them out of the jail and brings them to his house. That's one bad jailer. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, uh, why don't we go to, uh, grab some Taco Bell and hang out my place? What? <laughs> You're in maximum security right now, Paul and Silas. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> well, two brothers have now been united in Christ. And so they go to his home at midnight. I bet that was talk of the town. And his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent him, sent the police to the jailer. And so they must have gone back to the jail. <laughs> well, it's about time to get back, you know. Next day, the city officials said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. And so they went on their way. 
That's the start of the church in Philippi. Kind of messy, isn't it? (laughs) Don't ever forget God's in the mess. You know, we celebrate these kind of stories when the chains fall off. You know, we celebrate with Letha, with what she shared, that God spared her life. We continue to pray for our brothers and sisters that are hurting, who are waiting for their suddenly. We wait right along with them. In the meantime, we sing praise and we pray. We praise that God is a God who brings light to the darkness. We praise that God is a a God that where he is, there's freedom. That he holds the secret of peace. Freely gives that to us in our need and in our desperation. In our sickness and in our sin. Let's pray. The light of the world stepped down into darkness. He opened our eyes and he's let us see. Lord, thank you. Let us as a church walk in the light. Let us not fear the darkness, but to know that you are shining. Lord, encourage hearts, Lord, with your word today, we pray. For those whose hearts are breaking, for those whose hearts feel chained, Break those chains in Jesus' name.